Well, welcome here this morning. We're truly glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Did you guys know that today's already a great day? Yes? Yes, one person did. That's so good. All of you online said yes because I can see all those comments, of course. Um, And it's great because we have been able to come before the Lord in many different ways already. We sometimes just don't even think about what we just did. We sang songs, great songs to the Lord, revealing that we are truly desiring to cast everything at his feet. Sharing a good news story we just heard from our interns, that's a new life story. Three new people on staff coming out of a pandemic. Isn't that amazing? Prayer, Pastor Mark just led us as a congregation to join our hearts in something that truly could have just replaced this sermon. It was an amazing prayer, heartfelt. I was totally moved. I don't know about you guys, but something was working through him this morning. It's a good thing he had a good week. And now we enter into a time of sharing from the Bible, the living word of God. And today is also a great day because we have some baptisms coming up. We have three amazing people that are going to boldly testify to the power of Christ in their lives and their willingness to proclaim that relationship to us all and the world today. No pressure, right? But now, that sounds like a great day to me, and it's going to be 11-ish a.m. by the time that we're finished that. Doesn't that just boggle your mind? The amazing God we serve to give us all those blessings. No matter how we came here today, those can all be counted as blessings in our life. It's amazing to me. But as I prepared for the message this week, it was just one of those weeks for me. It was the opposite of what Mark experienced. Seemed like time was unavailable for me. Seemed like I'd never finish writing this sermon. Yet I truly believe it was a week that God used to shape my heart to the point that I felt like I was participating in the parable I'm speaking from today. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, we are in week six of a series we've called The Power of Prayer. We've covered aspects like the power of a praying mom, the power of a pathway in prayer, the source of the power of prayer, the power of perspective in prayer. And last week, Mark challenged us with the power of boldness in prayer. Now, I didn't ask this, but my mother-in-law shared a story with me this yesterday at her birthday party. She's a year older. We're not going to say how old, but a year older. And she said that, oh, I was so challenged that I actually, I prayed boldly this week for my bike to be returned. Now, she's out here. She's from New Brunswick, so obviously she wasn't her bike out here. But one of her nephews had gone biking, and the bike just went missing. And they couldn't find it, and she really loved it. And so that she went before God and boldly said, I desire that bike to be returned. And it was returned to a place that's about 45 minutes away from where she lives. And so she has it back now. That's God working through the boldness of our prayer. The power of prayer is real. So then what's today's message all about? Doesn't seem like we can do much more after that. Today we're focusing on the power of persistent prayer. Today, we're going to camp out in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. 
And so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it, whether electronically or paper or whatever. Or if you're online, you, you can use the Bible feature of the online platform and open it up there. But we're in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I find that sometimes I can enter into an autopilot mode right about now in the sermon. You know, you're a few minutes in, you didn't really like the intro, maybe you loved it, but you're kind of tuning out, you're getting into autopilot mode. And so I want you to actually participate in the service. Typically, I'm not up here, so I have to force myself to do this too. But today, whether you're in-house or online, I want to invite you to stand with me. If you're able, this isn't a pressure thing, but stand with me as we read scripture today. By standing, though, we are able to accomplish a couple of things here. One, we just changed our posture from sitting to actively standing, so we've engaged our body in the moment as well as our mind. And oftentimes, when we're asked to stand, it's out of a respect for something or someone, right? And this is a scripture that we respect and honor, so we're going to outwardly profess that today by simply standing right now as I read. This is the word of the Lord. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You may be seated. This is a tough one. Today I want to highlight four things. And if you're wired at all like me, you might enjoy what I'm going to title this thing. So it's the four portions of the power of persistent prayer in a parable. Huh? That's pretty good, right? That's a work of art right there. That was five Ps in a row. And it's all going to highlight four things that are also going to be four of the same letter. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, That's why it took me so long to write it. And so the first thing, though, that we're going to look at is the contrast of position. So contrast. This addresses the common question from this parable of who does the unjust judge and the widow actually represent. Let me put your minds at ease real early. The unjust judge is not a comparison to God. Some like to pull this passage out when they're trying to wrestle with it or trying to disprove God and say, look, see, unjust judge is just being compared by Jesus here. That's not what's happening here. What is really happening is that the unjust judge is not a representation of God, but rather an unrepresentation of God. And why I chose unrepresentation for the judge is that he's not just a misrepresentation because a misrepresentation can still sometimes contain a portion of correctness in it, just a little bit off the mark. But the unjust judge is the exact opposite. 
representation to God. By all outwardly standards, the unjust judge has everything together. He's a judge. He's got great power, right? He has influence. What he says, when he says jump, somebody says how high. He is not governed by someone else, right? So he has autonomy, so got some good individualism going on. He lacks nothing. All of his wants are taken care of. But there's a catch to this appearance of power in his life. There's a catch to the appearance of influence. There's a catch to the appearance of autonomy in his life. This judge can be classified as the opposite of God because all of those things are focused inwardly with this judge. And God wants to spread that out. He wants to spread power. He wants to spread influence. He doesn't want to hold on to it. He wants to pour it out over all creation. The unjust judge here is the contrast to God. The unjust judge is present during the requests and the cries of the widow, the persistent crying, but not actually listening. The unjust judge is only hearing the widow because of a cultural obligation in that time. In his time, it is actually written in the Old Testament that the judge is supposed to hear the widow and try to help her. But that's not even what he does. The final verses here say that in our passage today, Jesus points out that the unjust judge actually does end up caving in, but not because he cares for her, but because it was for personal gain. He didn't want to deal with it. It was wearing him out, having to hear her day after day. He just wanted a day off. Not only is the judge a contrast here, but the widow is actually a contrast of our position as we approach God. Even with the cultural obligation of the unjust judge to hear her, he was unmoved by her persistence. The widow has no footing in this situation. It is her persistence that eventually causes the judge to give in, give in, not actually want to do anything. It is only out of the annoyance and general exhaustion that he's experiencing from hearing this that he moves, he gives in. But that's not how we are able to approach God. That is a contrast to how we are able to approach God. We are not like the widow with no footing. We are the children of God. He is our heavenly father. He's the contrast to an unjust judge. He's a God who wants to hear from us. He desires to listen. And he works toward our good for his glory. So rather than the unjust judge and the widow being God and all Christians in our minds, we are now able to see this through the lens of a contrast of position where the unjust judge is a contrast to God and how God actually hears our cries to him. And the widow is the contrast to us as followers who have a standing before God who wants to hear us. So the first portion remembers contrast of position. That understanding of contrast has laid a foundation for why there's power in persistent prayer. And it's not simply us bugging, pestering, whining for whatever we want, but it brings us to this second portion of, of the power of persistent prayer today. And that is that the power of persistent prayer builds character. Character. This is not a new concept to us here. I'm sure we've all heard the saying, if at first you don't succeed, 
try, try again. Very good. For those of you online, they did it very well. And so one quick story, though, to bring us into this kind of a frame. There's a guy who grows up in Atlanta, and he's surrounded by gospel singers, his entire family, and he loves it. He's just belting it out, and he's good. But he also enjoys all musical things, so he picks up the drums, because those are really easy to learn, apparently. Um, that's why Zach can do it. And so we, we got the guy playing drums, singing. And then in high school, he's so talented, he starts playing sports, too. Plays football, and he is good, like really good. He's actually an all-American talent. And he goes on to play in college as well. And he's so good there that it is in all likelihood that he will go pro, and he wants to go pro. It ends up that he doesn't make it. It ends up that he just takes a job in some corporate sales. Pretty different pathway. What do you think happens next? Depending on how many sports movies you've watched, you're probably thinking, oh, I know what happened. Yeah, he persevered. He eventually worked out a ton and worked his way back into football, and he went pro after some persistent training and work, right? That's, the, oh, that's a Disney movie in the writing right there but you'd be wrong. He actually became a professional opera singer. Exactly, right? You say, what? Yes, you heard me correctly. He went on to pursue his love of music, which never truly left his mind all throughout that process. But he started getting voice lessons at 30 years old. That'd be like me taking voice lessons. Could you imagine that? Like, this is not the voice of an angel. And so, it's a lot of work. Continued to persist, though, throughout all of this unusual way to approach the situation, to the point that he was recently performing at the historic La Scala Opera House in Milan. This is what persistence that builds character can look like. The original end goal was not accomplished, was not reached, but that doesn't mean that you stop. In the end, the goal can look different than what you expected from the beginning. And if God is a continual part of that process, the end will still be the result that was planned all along. But if it were to get fixed immediately, if the opera thing didn't take years and other jobs to finally come to fruition, character would not have been built in the way that it needed to be built to be persistent in the pursuit of the end goal. We all tracking so far? But just because we've heard this story and know the try, try again phrase doesn't mean that we actually truly believe it, myself included. Especially when it comes to prayer. We don't typically want to have to walk through the times where persistence is needed in prayer, where we don't immediately get what we're requesting, where we need to continually approach God with our request, day in and day out, 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 day in and day out where we need to do the character-building work of being persistent in our prayers. We actually often like, myself included here, I'm not just yelling at you guys, we actually often like to just pray for it once, maybe twice, maybe three times if you're really digging it, and then you feel that God's definitely saying no if you don't get an answer. Because if he wasn't saying no, like we asked three times, of course, you know, he would have said it by now. But what persistence calls us to is to be continually crying out to God, day in and day out, 
when you cry out to something, it's not because you actually know all the necessary next steps. It is a releasing of control and proclaiming your dependence on the other. That final surrender, that final acknowledgement of our need to persistently cry out to God is the actual character that is being built and shaped. Character that can only wholly hope in God. And scripture doesn't only say it here in these verses, but it reveals it elsewhere too, that through endurance and perseverance, another word for persistence, you can form character. And that character does not lead to nothing, but it leads to what? It actually leads to hope. And hope is another way to word the third portion of the power of persistent prayer. And the third portion is continual confidence. When we see the unjust judge and the widow as the contrast to God and us, and when we are able to do the tough character building that persistent prayer calls us to, we are then able to have continual confidence in God who is hearing our prayers. Continual confidence is the result of the amazing progression of what persistent prayer does in us. That may seem an incorrect statement, you know, like the idea that being persistent provides more confidence. That's not typically how it works for me. If I went to my mom when I was younger and I went, can I have a chocolate bar? She says, no. I'm like, can I have a chocolate bar? She says, no. Can I have a chocolate bar? She says, no. Can I have a chocolate bar? She says, no. That doesn't build confidence that she's going to say yes eventually, does it? Probably going to continue to say no. Right? <laughs> exactly. And so, but that statement is correct, that the result of the amazing progression of what persistent prayer does in us is continual confidence. Persistent prayer creates continual confidence. For me, I know that doesn't come naturally. Oftentimes when I have to do things over and over again, I quit early. It's like if I t pick up the ball, softball season starting, so my head's really there right now. So if I pick up the ball and I fire it to first, there's a reason I play left field. If I fire it to first and I miss first base, well, I try it again and I miss it again, try it again and I miss it again. Well, that's why I'm in left field, right? Because like, <laughs> I can't do it, so I give up too early. When I've prayed for things in the past, I know that I've stopped asking when I wasn't hearing a response. Yet we are being called to prayer in that way and to have that confidence in it. Confidence doesn't come, though, because you understand the contrast of our position, the building of character, and the continual confidence that I've just outlined for you. But rather through the words that Jesus proclaims in verses 7 and 8 in our passage today where he says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. If we start to lose confidence, hopefully those words can be our anchor to the point where we can just grasp onto them and they provide the confidence we need we know that the unjust judge is the contrast. We know that the widow is the contrast for us. We know that persistently crying out will build that character in us. And Jesus just revealed 
that if our confidence remains in God for providing justice for us, it is not a false hope, it is not a false confidence, but it is one that is more true and more trustworthy than anything else you could ever place your confidence in. Confidence in your persistent prayer is the linchpin portion of the power of persistent prayer. Continual confidence, however, is the challenge of the call of persistent prayer. And that is the fourth portion today, challenge. Challenge is the concluding words of this passage where Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The challenge of persistent prayer is that we allow the first three portions that we've just outlined to influence how we endure during the time when it doesn't seem quick enough, when that speedily isn't speedily enough. We are reassured that he is doing it, though, in a speedily fashion. That's exactly the word that Jesus uses. That does not mean, though, that it's in our personal timeline of speedily. It does mean that it's in his eternal timeline of speedily. When we start to feel like we can't go before God with our request anymore, And we need to remember that we don't approach God like the widow does the unjust judge where we're just going to badger him into action. But we approach him like a child to their dad or a child to their mother. When we start to feel like that, it's too hard to continually pray this prayer. I'm not getting what I want. I don't want to keep asking. Why can't you just answer me the way that I want? We need to remember that it is God building our character. And the building of the character leads us to hope. When our prayers are persisting, and yet we start to lose that hope, we start to lose that confidence, when we need to remember that the confidence isn't based off of what we're doing, but it is off the words that Jesus proclaimed in this passage, where he tells us that God will God will, is what he says, bring justice for us. It's a guarantee. He will bring justice if we cry out day in and day out. So if we can remember our standing before God, allow our character to be shaped, and remain confident in God's willingness to answer our prayers, then the challenge of enduring will be the one that ends with success. And in the end, when the Son of Man returns, The answer to that question, will he find faith on earth? He will find faith. Contrast. Knowing God wants to hear and that we can approach him as a child. Character. Knowing that we are being shaped toward hope in him, which gives us continual confidence that God is answering us so that we can endure the challenge and reveal faith on earth in the end. Those are the four portions of the power of persistent prayer. Isn't that easy? You just got to do it now. Plug and play. Come on, right? But it won't be easy. And as I close today, I think it's important that we actually acknowledge that us just walking through this parable and revealing the four portions of persistent prayer is not like a scientific formula or a mathematic formula that is going to give the same answer each time to whoever does it. 
does not mean that your prayer life is now going to be smooth sailing. There will be times when perfection isn't achieved in this process, and you will quit early. So please don't hear me saying that this is a four-step plan laid out for you so that you'll never struggle again. And also don't hear me saying that if you are currently struggling, that just doing this will fix it immediately. But that doesn't take anything away from my confidence in those four portions that Jesus proclaimed to us. But I believe it won't be perfect. How can we hold this in attention? This is exactly what journeying towards Jesus looks like. It is taking things we know in our head, walking them as best that we can to our hearts and growing it there and growing it there to the point that it produces a fruit that can be passed on to another. And the journey of the Christian life is not meant to be solo. Otherwise, that fruit just falls to the ground and there is no other to pass it to. So as you enter, or either continue being in persistent prayer, or you're beginning the power of persistent prayer this week, know that this is not accomplished alone. You have the Holy Spirit, and you surround yourselves with others that will persistently pray with you. And then the words of Luke 18.8, the final words of this parable, can be a true encouragement and closing challenge to us all today. Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Encouragement. He will. We just have to persist. Nevertheless, regardless of what I just said, regardless of the guarantee, nevertheless, the challenge is still there. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on earth, the challenge. And as those words have asked us multiple times today, will he find faith on earth? We are now going to head into a time of magnificent celebration. where We have three awesome people that we are going to celebrate with as they publicly proclaim that if the Son of Man, if Jesus returned today, he would find faith in them on earth.